Good morning, everybody. This morning's reading is taken from Nehemiah chapter 2, and today we're taking it from the NIV version. Nehemiah chapter 2. Forgive me if I get some pronunciations a little incorrect. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This cannot be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting behind him, said, How long will your journey take and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army of officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Ho oh my goodness, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone when what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal, well, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down and its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, 
I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials of, or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this they are doing, they asked. Are they rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven give us success. We are his servants. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any historic right to it. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. Well, let's pray. as we open up this passage together this morning. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your words. And we pray, Lord God, that in this time where we can't necessarily all be together, that you will give us a real love and a real desire and a real passion to get into the word for ourselves and not simply rely on a Sunday sermon. But Lord God, we thank you for this opportunity we do get to come together and to think and discuss and to talk about your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we do, as we open it up, you'll highlight different things to each and every one of us, Lord. You'll be challenging us. You'll be encouraging us. You'll be spurring us on. Lord God, we want to live for you. And we pray that as we open up Nehemiah chapter 2 today, that Lord God will hear your voice. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week or if you were watching online, you will remember, hopefully, that last week we started a new sermon series opening up the book of Nehemiah together. And we looked in Nehemiah chapter 1 at a prayer, ultimately, that Nehemiah prayed, which led him from his knees in prayer to action. And we finished together, if you remember, by saying last week that often the prayers that we pray, God has already given the answer to. And the answer is, you are the answer to a lot of the prayers that you pray. That God wants to use you in the rebuilding project in your own life and in the life of the church and in the life of the city and in the life of the nation. Nehemiah was so broken over the situation in Jerusalem that he wept. It really cut him to the core. But his prayer ultimately led him to saying, I've got to do something about this. 
We can't just sit by any longer. We can't allow this to carry on. We have to be moved to action. You see, prayer aligns our heart with the heart of God. So let me ask you today, what is it that you are praying for right now? How is God speaking to you, I wonder, in the midst of your own prayer life at the moment? And what's God calling you to do about the situation which is on your heart at the moment? Are you ready for action this morning? Maybe the answer to that question this morning is yes, I'm ready for action, God. Just tell me what you want me to do and I will do it. I will say yes to you, God. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything that you want me to do. Just say the words, Lord Jesus, and I am there. But maybe, if you're completely honest, you're not in that place right now. Maybe, if you were totally and utterly honest and you were to take the kind of Sunday mask that we so often put on, off, what you'd actually say is you feel tired, you feel drained, you feel run down, and you feel very, very apathetic about things. I mean, you haven't always felt that way. There was a time when the idea of saying yes to God filled you with enthusiasm. You couldn't wait to serve in the mission that he calls us to do. You couldn't wait to say yes to being part of his kingdom coming and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But over time, perhaps you've just got worn down and burnt out, maybe burnt out by church life. Perhaps, if you're honest, you've become slightly disillusioned and you've had so many great ideas and so many great plans and so many great hopes and dreams in the past, but they just seem to have gone. So you hear a message like I preached last week and probably like I'm going to preach today and you hear a preacher say something like, you're the answer to the prayers that you're praying right now, and you start to think to yourself, oh, I've heard all this before. Here we go again. You know, the fact is that following Christ is not easy. Jesus said so much himself. He said, no servant is greater than his master. If they came and they persecuted me, if I had hard times and tough times in my earthly life, you can expect to have the same. We read in Timothy that those who want to live a godly life, those who go after God with everything they have, will face persecution, will face tough times, will face hardships. And as we open up Nehemiah chapter 2 together today, what I want us to see this morning is something about the realities of serving God. And hopefully... As we open up this chapter together today, what we're going to see as we look at these words together is though the path that we are called to walk is narrow, though the path often feels extremely hard, though the path that we're called to walk often feels like a great and awesome sacrifice, it is in fact the only way to live. It is in fact the best way to live. So the question this morning that I want to ask as we open up this passage is how do we as the people of God serve God with our whole hearts? How do we stop ourselves becoming drained and weary and disillusioned and on the verge of giving up? Well, I believe 
that there are some lessons that we're going to learn from this particular passage today, which give us some valuable insight in how we are called to serve God. And the first thing that I want us to see today as we look at Nehemiah chapter 2 is that if we want to be a people who serve God effectively, we have to learn to wait on him. This chapter that we've just heard read by Jackie tells us that it starts in the month of Nisan. This is when Nehemiah goes to the king and he gives wine to the king and he's looking sad in the presence of the king. Nisan is around March time, but the initial report that we heard last week in Nehemiah chapter 1, we read, is in the month of Kislev, which is November time. So that means from chapter 1 to chapter 2, Four months have elapsed. What was going on in those four months, I wonder? What was Nehemiah doing in those four months? I want to suggest that Nehemiah spent those four months fasting and praying and seeking God and pleading with God to do something about the situation in Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but I've got to be honest. I hate waiting. I cannot wait for anything you know, when coronavirus hit and the restrictions first came on, right, I was like a dog with a bone at the time. I was saying, right, we've got to do something about this now. We can't just sit idly. We've got to get up, get out, and do something about this situation to reach people for Jesus. I can't wait for anything. A few weeks ago, I had this immense pain come into my eye. And I, I didn't know what it was, but it was really, really painful in my right eye. And Every time I moved, everywhere I walked, this, my eye was absolutely throbbing. And like, a, like most men, I don't particularly like going to the doctors, so I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. And eventually, I decided to do one of these kind of video consultations with the doctors. The surgery that I am registered to here, you can book an out of hours appointment with an online doctor. So that's what I did. It was about 8.30 on a Monday evening that I booked this appointment to speak to this doctor about this pain in my eye. So I went onto my phone and I had a video conversation with this doctor. But the problem is with these kind of things, having a video conversation with a doctor, I've learned, is not necessarily the best way to do things because a doctor cannot properly examine you when they're on the phone. You can tell them your symptoms and they can kind of look at it, but they can't really see what is going on. And the problem with this is that I guess to avoid being sued for a misdiagnosis, they instantly assume the worst. So I was telling this doctor these symptoms that I was having, and he more or less said to me that unless I was to go to A&E immediately, there was a high chance that I was going to lose the sight in my right eye. So I was thinking to myself, well, that doesn't sound like something that I want to happen. I'll look on the Dereford website to see how long the A&E wait time is. I looked on it, and it was two hours, and I thought, well, two hours on a Monday night. At least I'll be home by midnight. So that's what I did. I went up to Dereford. I got there just after nine o'clock. And miraculously, on my journey from my house to Dereford, which is about a 10 minute drive, the, the wait time had jumped from two hours to four hours. So I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, well, I'm here now. I'm just going to have to sit it out and, and see how this goes. So I sat down on one of these kind of hard chairs. I've taken every other chair out in the waiting room as well to social distance in one of these disposable masks. I'm sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, how long is this going to take? 11.45 comes along and I get called. And I thought, well, that's not too bad. That's slightly over the two hours that I was initially thinking, but that is not too bad. Anyway, I get called into a room and they tell me to put a hand over my good eye and read some letters on, on the board. So that's what I did. 
thinking that they're going to have a proper look at my eye. They say to me, right, you can go and sit back down now. So I went and I sat back down. 20 to 3 in the morning, I got called again. At which point, they gave me some eye drops and said, if it gets worse, come back. I thought, I ain't coming back here. I got home about five past three in the morning, and I was absolutely shattered. My phone had died halfway through the evening as well, so I couldn't even mindlessly scroll on Facebook and look at what was going on in the world. It was not a fun experience. I'm rubbish at waiting. I'm particularly rubbish at waiting when it's 12 o'clock at night, and I'm hungry, and I'm tired, and I just want to go to bed. And the reality is, I guess, if we're totally and utterly honest, we are all probably pretty rubbish when it comes to waiting. But Scripture calls us to be a people who wait on God. And for Nehemiah, actually, a four-month wait is not that long a waiting time. It's probably one of the shortest kind of periods of waiting that we see in the Bible. Noah, for example, had to wait a long time between hearing an announcement from God that he was to build an ark to rain actually coming on the land. Israel. They had to wait 400 years in slavery in Egypt before they were freed and and able to go on the journey towards the promised lands. Abraham was 80 years old when he was promised by God that he was going to have a child. He had to wait another 25 years before that child of promise appeared. There's a 400-year wait at the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament and the promised Messiah coming. Waiting is something that God calls us to do. Sometimes we will pray and we will pray and we will pray and we will seek God's face and we will ask God what's going on in the situation, what can we do about it, and the response that God gives us is he calls us to wait. I wonder what you're waiting on God for right now? Have you been praying and praying and praying, I wonder, for a relative who simply doesn't seem to be making any steps towards Jesus? Maybe you've sensed a call that God has put on your life at some point, maybe a call to ministry or a call to a specific area of work, and it just does not seem like the doors have opened up for you. And you're wondering, God, did I hear wrong? Is this not going to happen? Is this ever going to happen? I just don't know. And you're in that place of waiting. I don't know what it is for you right now that God is calling you to wait on. But what I want you to hear this morning is that while you are waiting, God is working. He is always working. The Bible tells us that he promises to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Don't give up on God just because you haven't reached your final destination yet. What did Nehemiah do when he waited? Well, one thing is absolutely certain. He got on his knees and he continued to pray. Remember, we talked together about the prayer last week in Nehemiah chapter 1, and we talked about this prayer that he prays and he cries over the city of Jerusalem. And that prayer led him to action. But what I want you to see is this cannot have been a one-time prayer. It wasn't a quick arrow prayer. God, please bless the people of Jerusalem. Amen. This was a prayer that he prayed over and over again. How do we know this? Well, the opening of Nehemiah chapter 2 starts with him looking sad in the presence of the king. Why is he sad? Because Jerusalem is still lying in ruins. 
That suggests to me that this has been on his heart for days and weeks and months. And he's continuing to pray. He's continuing to seek God. He hasn't seen the answers yet, but he's continuing to trust God that he knows what he's doing. So therefore, he continues to pray. And what happens when the king asks Nehemiah in verse 4 what's wrong and what he needs? What's Nehemiah's immediate response before answering He prays, Nehemiah is a man of prayer, even when the answer doesn't seem like it's coming. Even when he's in a period of waiting and watching and wondering. What if the period of waiting that you are in right now, for whatever that is, God is using to develop a deeper intimacy with him? What if that in the waiting, God is teaching you to talk to him? How is your prayer life, I wonder? What is it that is on your heart that you are seeking God for? Don't give up in prayer, but seek earnestly in prayer. Keep coming to God, and in the waiting, watch how God is working. So often, we don't see the response that we hope for. So we say, well, I've tried. That's it. Nothing happens. I give up. My challenge today is not to let the weight rob you of intimacy with the Almighty, but use it to draw closely to him. The other thing that Nehemiah did when he was waiting was he ultimately planned what was coming next. You see, when the king asked Nehemiah what he wants to happen, Nehemiah doesn't turn around to the king and say, well, I don't really know, king. Give me a, give me a couple of days and I'll come up with something. I'll come back to you and we can bounce a few ideas about and we can see where we go with things and then we can come up with the solution. No. What happens is that we see in verse 7 these words, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that this will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates with the king's letters. The king had also sent an army of officers and cavalry with me. In the months of waiting, Nehemiah had not been idle, but he'd been planning. He'd been seeking the Lord in prayer and asking God what the future was to look like and what the next steps he had to take were to be. He needed a safe passage. He needed woods. He knew exactly what he needed in order to get the job done and where he had to go. Planning is not an unspiritual exercise. We need to be a people who plan. We need to be a people who prepare for what is in store. We need to seek God and we need to put our plans into his hands and he will reveal the next steps to us i wonder what you're waiting for right now i wonder what you're seeking the lord for right now i wonder what the next steps that god is calling you to take are in your life and are you putting the building blocks in place to make it happen the second thing that I want us to see from this passage together today is that if we're going to be a people who serve God effectively, we must learn to work with people. You see, when God calls us to serve him, he often calls us to serve him in the context of community. 
Ever since I've been a Christian, and I expect it's probably the same for you if you're watching this and you are a follower of Jesus, you have heard Christians utter the cliche, utter the phrase, church is not about the building, it's about the people. And though in theory we believe that, often our practice has equated to four walls that we come to on a Sunday and then we go home and we forget about it. You know, I believe one of the products for the church over this time is that this statement that we so often say is going to move from a theory to actual practice. We cannot equate church with four walls any longer because we cannot physically all meet together in the same place. To serve God, therefore, no longer looks like having your name on a rotor on a Sunday morning, but to serve God is what it should have always been about, taking the kingdom of God to the people who so desperately need the kingdom of God in our streets, in our workplaces, in our city, and in our nation. Suddenly, our focus becomes clearer, and we should be doing what we always should have been doing. In order to be really effective, though, however, in the mission of God, the church needs to be the church. And by that, I mean we need to do this in the context of community. In our chapter today, in order to fulfill his calling, what we see in the life of Nehemiah is he had to work with in some way, shape, or form, three different groups of people. He had to work with an unbelieving king. The king literally had the power to take Nehemiah's head off if he wanted to. And in fact, if we were to look at Ezra chapter 4 and verse 21 together today, this particular king had already stopped the work in Jerusalem once before. Nehemiah had to work with a bunch of demoralized believers. The Jews in Jerusalem believed God. They believed in God, they believed the promises that God had given, but ultimately the people who were living there at this time had simply lost hope. And as a result, Nehemiah anticipated a little bit of resistance from them when he went to them. And Nehemiah spends time planning and he spends time praying about how he is going to get the Jews in Jerusalem on his side. And we read these words in chapter 2 and verse 16, the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or anyone else who would be doing the work. And it goes on into verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble that we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also also told them about the gracious hand of God on me and what the king had said to me. Then they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. How did Nehemiah encourage the people to get on board and to get going again, even though they were down and demoralized? He identified the problem. He didn't accuse the people that were living there of complacency. He didn't blame them for the situation or gloss over it, but he owned the problem as well. He said, this is our problem. This is the situation and the circumstances that we are in. We have to do something about that. Then he appealed to their felt needs. He said, if we get on with this task, we are no longer going to be in disgrace. 
before giving them some testimony about how good God was and what God had already done. And as a result, the people said, okay, let us go and let us rebuild. But they were not the only people that Nehemiah had to work with to get this job done. There are a third group of people that we see in this chapter, his enemies. Some people pop up called Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. We're going to find out a little bit more about these people in weeks to come. But even here, what we see is they start out by mocking Nehemiah and ridiculing him and saying, this is a stupid project, give up, forget it, go home. And as a result, what was needed from Nehemiah and the people was courage and wisdom. You know, when we say, let's rebuild, the enemy always says, that's ridiculous. You can't do this. What are you even thinking? Have you seen your skills? Have you seen your gifts? Have you seen your talents? You might as well give up and go home. And my point this morning, church, is in order to serve God effectively, we need each other. We cannot do it on our own. If we stand together, we're able to relate to the unbeliever and we're able to overcome our enemies. We live in a broken and hurting world. And you know what? We're surrounded by broken and hurting Christians as well. That's the beauty of the church. None of us are perfect. We all have our issues. We all have our battles. We all have our struggles. And if we're being completely honest at times, we would rather just get on with it by ourselves and go it alone and say, do you know what? It's too much hassle working with other people. It's too much hassle walking alongside other people. It causes me too much hurt and pain walking alongside other people. I don't fully agree with other people, so I'd rather just get on with it on my own. But this is not how God works, and this is not how he has designed you and I to be. You see, it's in serving God with others that we become more Christ-like. The Bible tells us that as iron sharpens iron, we become sharp. When we're together, we sharpen each other. So let me challenge you again this morning, church. What is your relationship like with the church at the moment? And I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. How has this pandemic helped you to either draw closer to the church? Has it helped you draw closer to your brothers and sisters? Or if you're being honest, have you pulled away a little bit and said, no, you know what? I'm not really going to engage in what's going on at the moment. It's too much hassle. It's too hard for me right now. Church, if we genuinely want to be a people who serve God, if we genuinely want to see his kingdom come and his will be done, it involves others. No matter how hard it is, no matter how painful it is, no matter how much at times we say, I just want to pull back, the challenge is to be a people who continue to press on and to press in. Let me challenge you again this week, church. What can you personally do this week to intentionally grow your relationship with those who you are called to serve alongside. Finally, if we're going to be a people who serve God effectively, we must learn to wrestle with problems. The fact of the matter is, as I've already said, when we choose to step out, the enemy will mock us and say that's not worth it. But when we choose to step out, also, we are going to find out that we're going to face problems. In this passage, Nehemiah had the problem of his enemies, and he had a problem of a destroyed Jerusalem and a problem of a destroyed wall. So often, when we face persecution, opposition, discouragement or resistance, we take that to mean that God is not in the situation. But it doesn't mean that at all. We take it so often to mean this is a sign that we just give up and go home and get on with something which might be easier and might 
make us feel good. But I don't believe that's what God calls us to do. In fact, Jesus himself said in John chapter 16 and verse 33, these words, I have told you these things so you may have peace. In this world, you will, not may, you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. If you want to serve God, we're going to find that there are going to be at times and times which feel troubling. But here's the great thing, we're not alone. We've never been alone, and we never will be alone. And in the midst of the storm, as Jesus told his disciples, we can and we will have peace. Nehemiah was called to serve God by going to a king of an empire who didn't believe to ask him to allow him to go back to a city that he'd never been to in order to make it what it once was, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild Jerusalem, to start the project. He returned to a broken and demoralized people and enemies who were there to cause trouble, and yet he remained faithful. Where are you at today, I wonder? Has this pandemic robbed you of the joy of serving God? Have the hardships that have been brought almost caused you to say, you know what, this isn't for me anymore. It's time for me to bow out. It's time for me to tap out. It's time for me to do something else, go somewhere else, be someone else. I believe that God wants to say to you today, it's time to rebuild. And you have a part to play. Is it going to be easy? No, it's not going to be easy. We don't know what the coming days and weeks and months are going to hold. Will there be times of uncertainty going ahead? Yes, there will be. You will need to work with people in order to see what I am calling you to do come to fruition. But in doing so, you are going to become more like Christ. There will be enemies who will mock you and taunt you and scorn you for what I'm calling you to do. It will make you feel like you want to give up and go home and forget about everything that I've said. But Jesus says today, take heart because I have overcome. You will face problems, but I'll be with you. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. I wonder what it is that God is calling you to today. Perhaps you've put something down that in your heart of hearts you know you probably should never have put down and God is saying, come on, let's take it up again. Let's go again. Perhaps there's a call to leadership within the church. Over the past few weeks, we've been uh, asking people to nominate new leaders for Hope Baptist Church, and God is saying, do you know what? It's you. You're supposed to be part of the team. You're supposed to be doing what I'm calling you to do. Perhaps God is calling you to a ministry here in this place or in your workplace or somewhere else. Perhaps God is calling you to a people group, whether that's an age demographic, or a nation. I don't know what it might be for you, but I want you, if you're in the room or you're watching this online, to ask God this morning, just to simply say, God, here I am. What is it that you have for me? And my challenge for you this morning is don't shy away. Don't back away. But say yes to God. Even if at the moment, 
you feel discouraged and demoralized. But allow God to do a work that only he can do in your life today. If you're in the room, why don't we stand? And we're going to respond to God in worship this morning. And God's, my prayer this morning is that whether we're in the room or we're watching online, whether we're watching on catch up at another time, I don't know. May we use this time right now to simply ask you, Lord God, where are you calling me to serve? How are you calling me to serve? The Bible tells us that God knows the plans he has for us as a church, but he also knows the plans he has for you individually. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you. So will you open up your heart this morning and say, God, here I am. Use me.